Welcome back to a People's History of the Old Republic. Last time we talked about the two or about the two earliest, but certainly lesser known Old Republic stories, and began and began to dig into the tales of the Jedi. This time we return to the first Star Wars prequel, The Golden Age of the Sith, and set and set the stage for the Great Hyperspace War. I'm Luke. This is Kelsey, and we've got a story to tell you. So the story we're going to be talking about first is part of the Tales of the Jedi, and it's the Golden Age of the Sith, which takes place 5,000 years BBY. Again, that's before the Battle of Yavin. And it was first published as a six-issue comic in 1996-1997. And it was the author is Kevin J. Anderson, who we will be seeing a lot of in this time. Um, So the Tales (laughs) of the Jedi (laughs) takes place... um, a bunch of places. It's on uh, Chorus Major, it's on Kyrick, it's on Korban, Zyost, which was the capital of the Sith Empire, Coruscant, and other outlying Sith worlds. Um, and in the universe, the so we have to go back. The story is set 5,000 years before Battle I mean, We have to go back a little bit for um, to 7,000 BBY for the Hundred Years Darkness, when the Dark Jedi split off from the Jedi Order in order to follow the Dark Side, or to study it, you know, depending on who you're talking to and what they're saying. The Dark Jedi leaders included uh, Ajunta Paul, Karnas Mer, Zozan, Remulus Drepa, and Sorzus Sin. The Jedi branded the Dark Jedi as heretics and banished them for creating a new species through the Force that would obey their will. Um, and one of the examples of these species is the Leviathans. Some dark Jedi viewed it as a religious crusade against them for their teachings and abilities, which is the kind of thing that happens when you have a schism and heresy. Um, the following their defeat at the Battle of Corbos in uh, 6,900 BBY, so, you know, the end of the Hundred nice. Darkness, <laughs> the surviving dark Jedi were exiled to unknown space. The Jedi presumed to have never seen their dark brethren again. However, the dark Jedi made one short hyperspace jump and found Korriban almost immediately. And one dark Jedi leader, Zelzan, had been plotting to find a place to go for some time. So for nearly 2,000 years, the dark Jedi and the Sith species interbred together while the Sith took the dark Jedi as gods, with the dark Jedi taking up the name Sith as their own. Um, prior to this point, Sith were totally unknown in the universe and were simply the red-skinned species that was naturally Force-adept and had existed in the Korriban system, which had not been explored. And, uh, Luke, let me ask you, is this the kind of, like, red skin we see with, like, Darth Maul and some of the people in, um, in, like, the Clone War show and things? Or is this, do we know if that's a different kind of red? Uh, that's that's a different kind of red as far as I know. Um, I, I don't think the Sith species, uh, as they're named here and as they're shown in the uh, in the EU and uh, especially being prevalent in the Old Republic, uh, I, I don't think they've been made canon at all. A lot of people thought, including myself, uh, thought that Maul was part of uh was part of the group whenever he was introduced in uh, the Phantom Menace but he was uh he turned out to be a Dathomirian um so we haven't seen them yet in the new canon and I honestly don't know that we will um except for maybe mentions or something like that uh but 
um, they did, we do know that they did survive all the way to the very end of, uh, the old Star Wars EU. They made it to the, the legacy era with the Kate Skywalker, um, Kate Skywalker comics and everything like that. Darth crate, things of that nature. Gotcha. And, uh, I can imagine that this would be something uh, Disney would would shy away from bringing in because a red-skinned race who who sees foreign invaders as gods is not particularly a thing they would want to adapt. There's a lot of bad blood in yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. Let's let's everyone just do away with the noble savage, uh, the the noble savage thing. Let's just w- yeah. W- w- no, no more. In, in any way. We're, we're good with it. <laughs> this is a trope and that can die. So, yes. back to, so back to the our history roundup and our, our background. The On Corban. Um, yes, On Corban, which was extremely important to Sith Lord. It's actually a tomb um, where the dead Dark Lords reside. And so Sith Academies also exist there um, and were created there. Um, and it was rendered uninhabitable by the uh, Rakata during an invasion attempt. That was rebuffed um, 27,000 years BBY, um, which, you know, huge scope of history again in the Star Wars universe. And so this was one of the few times um, that a planet was rendered um, uninhabitable um, before the fall of the Infinite Empire. That's right, and and we will definitely come back to the Ricotta when we get into uh, Knights of the Old Republic. We start talking about Revan and Malak and Bastila, uh, but uh, before we get there, I uh, wanted to talk briefly about uh, our next canon alert, canon alert three here. Uh, this is really, as far as we know, the first big crossover event between canon and legends, both chronologically and by name. Though the canon has specified uh, that something called the Hundred Years Darkness did occur, and that was the schism or the split between the Jedi and the Dark Jedi, soon to be called, or later to be called the Sith, we don't know what occurred. And uh, to be frank, um, most of the information that we have about the Hundred Years Darkness in Legends uh, comes from the legacy comics that, like I said, take place about 137 years ABY, so after the Battle of Yavin, so the complete opposite of, of where we are right now. Um, and they've been referenced a little in the Star Wars comics, Tarkin book, and uh, the the Clone Wars animated series. Um, and, and also another quick note, uh, first mentioned in the original Tales of the Jedi run, uh, Dark Lords of the Sith, the Hundred Years Darkness was actually the second great schism between the Jedi and Dark Jedi. The first occurred some 24,000 years earlier uh, when the Legions of Letal followed a Dark Jedi named Zendor who wanted to learn many forbidden Force ideas, including about the Dark Side, and they were defeated in less than a year. Now, yeah, go ahead. Okay, uh, now we are moving into um, to to the main story, and uh, a couple things here. Wanted to give a little bit of background. So, we're starting out the tales of the Jedi in on a planet called Kirik, and uh, Kirik is where is the last planet in the Koro system that Empress that is holding out against Empress Tita. She will. 
take it over. She will enforce her rule across the entire uh, system and it will eventually be renamed in her honor. But at this point, uh, that has not occurred yet. And um, we are seeing a couple of differences that we have between the normal Jedi Council, the normal Jedi that, that we expect from the prequels and um, the main Star Wars story and what we have now. These Jedi operate almost exclusively outside the scope of Coruscant. They have their own praxiums in faraway systems where they train their own uh, apprentices, their own Padawans, um, and then they act as watchmen for certain systems, as uh, as we will see here shortly. So that's that's kind of what we're looking at here, and the big differences. And uh, you know, one other note: I, I we realize how difficult it is uh, talking about these systems with names you might not be familiar with, and the geography of the Star Wars galaxy isn't very clear in the first place. So we're going to include. Um, a link to uh, some some information showing you how the Star Wars galaxy is set up and then showing you how the Great Hyperspace War occurred uh, to, to give you a little bit better background of, of what we're actually talking about here. Because, again, this is an audio format and it's just it's very difficult to get that scope when we're talking about something that is so far removed from the movies and, and the timeline that we're used to. So... At the beginning of the story, uh, 5,000 BBY, Empress Tita controls uh, nearly all of the Koros system, which is in the deep core, and is attempting to enforce her claims against the last holdout, uh, the planet of Kirik. Odin Ur is sent by his master, Uru, I think, uh, to assist in subduing the final planet along with uh, the Jedi Guardian of the Kuro system, Mehmet Nadil. Now, Odin Ur is interesting because he will be here until uh, a little bit after 4000 BBY. He is going to connect this story to the original Tales of the Jedi run and... He is a Drathos Jedi, so he has these weird teeth that are outside of his mouth. He doesn't have any gums or, or any lips. So um, his master, on the other hand, Uru, I guess, uh, is a Seligian who has to live inside a ammonia-encased glass uh, system to survive in non-ammonia-based atmospheres. So he is sent to Kirik to assist. Now, this is the first use that we know of of battle meditation that he has. Odinur is successful in using his skill of, ba of battle meditation uh, to turn the tide for Empress Tita and for... Um, for Mehmet Nadil. Now, if you're not familiar with Bedai, excuse me, battle meditation, uh, it's a it's a rare Jedi skill or force skill rather that allowed them to affect their allies in battle, give them greater uh, excitement or uh, 
tactical ability and uh, could turn the tide of battle. An example of this would, uh, in the Legends timeline, um, it was said that Emperor Palpatine used battle meditation to assist the Imperial forces at the Battle of Endor until his death, which is why they then fell apart. Now that's not in canon, but that's just, that's an example. So you understand what we're talking about here, even though, <clears throat> excuse me, moving back to, uh, moving back to 5,000 BBY, Odenner successfully uses battle meditation to turn the tide, but there are many casualties and he is grief stricken. He never wants to use his, his ability again, cause he's just, he's too upset. Um, at the time, Koros is one of the most important systems because it produces uh, carbonite, which is used at that time solely for transporting goods and services across long hyperspace voyages. Um, and there, the line, the hyperspace line from Koros to uh, Coruscant controlled all of the carbonite in the galaxy at that point. So that's really the background and what we're looking at right there. And so, in the uh, in the fighting, there are two um, two fairly significant deaths. There's the uh, or the parents of uh, Jory and Gav Daragon, um, who are an untrained but force sensitive uh, brother and sister. Where have we seen that before? Um, and who <laughs> live on Koros uh, Major, and they are hyperspace explorers, turning routes for a living. And after one of their latest routes fails, and a mob boss puts out a hit, the uh, the mob boss is named is a hut, or sorry, after a mob boss puts out a hit. A hut named Arba. These these names are clearly designed to be written to read and never pronounced. Yes. Uh, but a hut named Arba <laughs> impounds their star sh their ship Starbreaker Twelve. They steal it after a run in with some thugs and make a long blind hyperspace jump to unknown coordinates, hoping luck will give them a fresh start and better life. Instead, they jump directly to Corbon due to their luck which is for sensitivity. We've also seen that before. Um, seeking out worlds strong in the force. Um, so it's never stated specifically, but this seems to be what happened um, to the Dark Jedi after Corbos II. Um, and when the Dark Jedi were exiled, they made one jump to a system not far from Corbos and immediately conquered it. So what I'm saying is, if you're going to go to war, don't let your enemy survive on half measures. Force jumping is a good way to find an escape. <laughs> you you can't you you can't let them you can't let them survive. This seems to be a common problem with the Jedi. They just they keep letting one or two people, or in this case, a, a large number, but they keep letting them survive, and then they get away and they don't they don't do anything about it, and and that that's that's going to continue as as I'm sure you can guess, to be the downfall of the Jedi Order. <laughs> now, after they make this jump, the Darragons arrive just as Marka Ragnos, a descendant of the Dark Jedi exiles, is being laid to rest. As we discussed uh, last time, Marka Ragnos was around 100 and uh, had died... And it died of old age at this time. He was the only known Dark Lord of the Sith to die in this manner. Uh, at the time, two rivals of his are vying for the title of Dark Lord of the Sith, uh, Ludocresh and Naga Sadao. They are um, their political rivals. They are 
uh, rivals in thinking and um, and how they operate as well. Kresh is a very, um, I guess we would say, conservative uh, leader in that he doesn't want to go out and fight. He wants to rule the the tiny bit of space that they have and continue to grow in that manner. Sadao, on the other hand, uh, only wants revenge against the Republic for casting out uh, their their former you know their their ancestors and 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 causing them to live out there and after Gavin Jory arrive Sadal uses this as a pretext to call for uh, expansion of of, Cis, of Sith space and uh, a war against the Re- Republic uh, and the Jedi who had banished them so long ago now. Sadal, there's there's a lot of internal working here. Sadal uh, separates Jory and Gav, who are very close to one another and are obviously very upset because their parents have died and they have no idea where they are. Um, and Sadal also sees that they are entrained in the Force and he attempts to uh, start moving them to the dark side he he wants to turn them even though they they technically aren't aren't jedi in the first place but he wants to turn them and use them as a means to uh to trick uh, or trick them and use them as a means to attack the republic um now Sadal used trickery and cunning to destroy the forces of his sith rivals but also to separate uh Gav and Jory and begin training Gav uh, as a Sith using Gav's indignance against the Republic and their sparse life and, and the number of, uh, uh, of problems that they've had as the reason for this. Um, Sadao also makes it appear like Republic soldiers have broken in to fight for the Darragons and free them, causing many minor lords to rally for his cause of invasion. Um, as you can see right now, this is a lot of this this series of comics, the Golden Age of the Sith, is a lot of uh, background and place setting for what's going to occur in in the next series. Uh, so, meanwhile, um, Odin Ur studies at Koros while uh, Empress Teda shores up her conquests. One night, he has a strong force vision of the return of Dark Jedi to Republic space. Teda and Mehmet Nadil agree that this is a problem and rush to Coruscant to alert the Senate, but are rebuffed, as most believe, the Dark Jedi to either be extinct or just part of Odin Ur's overactive imagination. Nevertheless, Tita decides to defend Koros from the Sith. Shortly thereafter, uh, Sadal lures Kresh into a trap in Sith space and decimates his forces completely, forcing Kresh to uh, retreat in his only is his only course for survival. Uh, caught in the fighting and once again in possession of uh, their ship due to Sadao's treachery, Jory flees the system, leaving Gal leaving Gav reluctantly. She doesn't want to, but Sadao says. If you don't leave, you're going to die in this fighting. They're, they're coming to kill you. And she's, she says, okay, yeah, you're right. I, I got to go. Uh, unbeknownst to Jory, 
Uh, Sidal has placed a tracking beacon on the ship to find a way back to uh, Republic space. Gav is, is furious when he finds out about this because he starts to realize that they are being used badly by Sidal, but he can do nothing at the time. Uh, the Sith apparently had no way of finding Republic space at this time due to uh, the way that uh, the Stygian Caldera, where Sith space was located, uh, its physical properties, as well as lost hyperspace coordinates. Sadao then marshaled his forces to follow the beacon, invade the Galactic Republic, beginning um, at numerous worlds, including Coruscant, Primus Galud, where Sadao would station his Sith Medi- Meditation Sphere, and of course, Coros uh, Major. And, um, you know, this is just my conjecture here, but this would likely be the first story chronologically to be heavily borrowed from in the new canon if they go in depth on the Old Republic stories after uh, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2, the original Tales of the Jedi, and then the Darth Bane trilogy, which happens much later, obviously. <clears throat> and that leads and, us. And so, Kelsey, I, I mean, I think, oh, go ahead. No, no, I hear. I was just gonna say, I think you could see a lot of uh, a lot of recurring, uh, <laughs> I guess, motifs or uh, a lot of recurring uh, problems that that not only the Jedi but also just the the, the Republic have that they you know their enemies get banished and they just allow them to sit out there and then they don't take uh, they don't take their warning seriously. I was yeah, I was saying one of the interesting things, right, is that this comic is written and comes out before before the prequels. I think before the prequels even like start start production, and the notion, um, and it, it, perhaps it's just an easy trope, right? That the oh, the enemy is yeah. lurking out there. No, they can't possibly be. We have defeated them, and everything is fine. And so it's a weird. Um, it's weird foreshadowing, and I can't imagine that like George Lucas spent any of his time reading. These things, but who knows? Um, but that we see the like, nope, nope, they're actually out there. The the Republic needs to be ready. Um, so it's a need to see the, yeah, to see the modif repeat, to see the structure fall into place, and that the idea that like the the Skywalker saga is just sort of the latest iteration of a long standing uh, cycle of uh, failure and then uh, rebuilding of the old Republic or of republics in this universe. Yeah, and I think since this was about 96 or 97, so The Fandom Menace would have come out in 99, I'm thinking that they they probably, I don't know that Lucas, um, I don't know when it began production or anything, but, you know, you can see a lot of the similarities here. You know, they... Many of the Jedi, the Senate, you know, they they think they have a, uh, you know, they think they have a um, a monopoly on understanding the Force and what it's going to do and and what it does, and that's something you see that that does exactly come up in the Phantom Menace. You're exactly right because they, you know. Uh, Qui-Gon fights Maul at the very beginning and says the Sith have returned, and you know, Mace Windu says, well. If the Sith had returned, we we would know it. We we would definitely know it. And they're you know they're they're overconfident. They're um they're, they're haughty and 
and they they think they they own the force in in a way and i mean that's something that's going to come up so often during this during these stories because you have you have the jedi and and it's not that they are trying to do something bad they they don't want to you know most of them anyway don't want to to hurt people or hurt the republic or anything like that it's just that they believe that they have you know this one all-encompassing idea of the force and that it teaches you know that's that's the only one and it's associated with the republic but they you know blind themselves to other ideas and not just the ideas of the dark side but just other interpretations of the force generally which is something that they talk a lot about in uh, they've talked a lot about in the new canon with, you know, all the force based religions around Rogue One, uh, you know, the character of, uh, of Chirrut in that movie um, and, and Baze as well. They're, they're, they're based on force religions, but they're not Jedi. So they, you know, they understand the force exists. They have a theology built around it and it appears a person like Chirrut can touch the force in some way, but they're obviously not Jedi in, in any meaningful way. So I think that's something interesting and something that, especially when we get to Knights of the Old Republic 2, we'll, we'll talk a lot more in depth about because of how that story plays on the, uh, you know, the warring internecine conflict between uh, the Jedi and the Sith is just a religious, you know, a, a religious struggle on how to interpret the Force. No, it's, it's yeah, I also, it's just a, um, a, one of the other things that I find fascinating about these, these old stories and the way they set it up and how is, is how oddly central the role of like cartography and lost maps is and meeting specific people and that the, the force provides almost a, um, force sensitivity and then with a little bit of technical gimmickry provides a path through like lost maps or fallen things where they can see like, Oh, well, four sensitive people are attracted to other, to each other, other things. And so that, that guides in one direction and then they can like trace back with technology, but that you can have this, you have a really a galactic Republic with chunks of the map missing or lost or unable to be penetrated or even unable to be mapped. And that's an interesting quirk for a universe. Yeah, it's, I mean, and it's something that as we look more into this, we can talk, I mean, and, 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 and I think we would love to have, um, and to have listeners, you know, ask us specific questions about, you know, certain parts of the universe or certain aspects of these stories or whatever. And we can definitely talk about how the Star Wars universe is, is set up or the Star Wars galaxy rather is set up, um, in that, hyperspace isn't a uh it's not something that ships just go you know you 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 type in something and your ship just goes from one end to the other it's a literal other plane of existence so to speak that that you enter like like a like like entering a, a a highway 
sort of. Um, and then you have to exit, you have to have an exit for it as well, which is why, you know, you can't just jump from say Tatooine directly to a place like Coruscant, you know, you, you can't jump from one planet to the other. In a lot of cases, you have to go from one hyperspace map or one hyperspace route to another, um, Otherwise, you just end up in black holes or suns or things of that nature. And um, I mean, the entire, I guess, Western side of their galaxy is cut off by uh, what they call uh, the hyperspace disturbance, um, hyperspace disturbance in the galaxy. And it basically is impenetrable for everyone it was impenetrable except in one spot for for the yuzon vong if listeners remember that those stories uh <laughs> from from the ab from the aby years um and and so that that is something that's very interesting is that you just you can't just it's not as simple as saying okay i'm gonna go from uh you know as the crow flies i'm gonna go from uh from albuquerque to denver it's okay. I have to get in my ship. I have to punch up the coordinates. I have to make sure that the hyperspace lane goes directly between these two. And if it doesn't, I have to use different lanes to get between Albuquerque and Denver or, you know, New York and LA or where, you know, wherever you want to go that in my mind, that's the way to make the most sense of it. But I mean, I know other people do it differently. That's great. It's something we'll be, I imagine we'll be getting into more here, but for the, so all this talk of hyperspace leads really well into the great hyperspace war. And that is told as part of Tales of the Jedi, the fall of the Sith Empire, which is also 5,000 BBY. It was published in 97, 98. It was a five issue comic series by Kevin J. Anderson. Um, And the fall of the Sith Empire is the story of what became known as the Great Hyperspace War. Um, that became, it was set up known that. We learned it. We learned the full name. We learned the historical name as the event happened. It's a neat, <laughs> it's a neat trick. Exactly. We have to go revise. Oh, no, that's not the Great War. That's just a Hyperspace War One. Yeah, um, that's the Great Hyperspace War. That's the garbage one. The, you know, yeah. the, the mediocre Hyperspace War. The, right. the one that happens later, that's the Great One. You know, like... But it's funny how they they used, you know, that's the Great War. Like how older people would refer to World War One as the Great War. Well, nothing, right. nothing will beat World War One. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, buddy. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, boy. If you only knew. So Naga Sadao's uh, fall in exile. Um, he gets exiled to Yavin 4, which is the origination of the great temples on Yavin 4 that we first see in The New Hope. And it sets the stage for the Jedi and Seth we see in the original Tales of the Jedi, which is set a thousand years later. So again, this is the prequel to a prequel that is lightly touched upon in the actual film prequels. Um, So the Great Hyperspace War killed billions, um, but was over in maybe less than a day. The time is fuzzy. Do you want to want to speak to that? Or we can we'll get to that after we get to characters. Um, So. The characters are the same. We are the same as we have seen in the Golden Age of the Sith, mostly. This is the the climactic event. Um, and it begins re- literally like minutes or maybe hours after the Golden Age of the Sith ends. 
and it takes place in less than a week. Um, it takes place on Korriban, Kirik, Chorus Major, Coruscant, the Primus Golud system, and Yavin 4. And uh, Luke, do you want to jump in on the story? I do. Um, so, you know, briefly, what you what you spoke about, it uh, kills billions, but was over in maybe less than a day. That is, uh, you know, we've talked about it before. We will certainly talk about it again. The time or yeah, the timing and scale in Star Wars has always been fuzzy. And and that's fine because it's it's sci-fi. And if you try to nail down everything to the day, you're going to end up screwing yourself up. And you're going to make people mad because they're going to say, well, uh, there's a discrepancy in this, you know, and whatever. I get that. I get that, uh, you know, I get that things are fuzzy. We still don't know how long uh, they spent on the ship in uh, in Empire Strikes Back. How long were they on the Millennium Falcon? Was it a week? Was it six months? I mean, I don't know. I've looked it up. I can't find an answer. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, so so here, we're, I mean, we're looking at this war where um, literally Sadao takes all of his forces and he just decides, look. We are just going to blitz everything. We are blitzing all of the systems at the same time. He goes to he goes to Primus Galud. He sends most of his forces to Coruscant. He sends Gav Daragon and some other forces to Kirik because they need the Carbonite and they want to take out um, Jory Daragon and, and anybody else who might know about his plans. Um. And then after they do that, they attack a few smaller other planets. But at the same time, all of this, as far as we can tell, seems to be happening in a matter of of hours. Like Coruscant is smashed. People, billions upon billions, maybe trillions of people die. And then the, you know, the it's over and and you know obviously we'll talk about all of this um go go very in depth on it next next time we we on our next episode but you know it's not it's not a uh it's not a joke to say that this is literally the worst day in galactic history like billions upon billions of people die and and I know you are a much better scholar of, of history than I am. What is the most deadly battle in the history of earth on one day? Or like, what's the, what's the deadliest day in the history of earth? I mean, I think, ah, oh God, I don't know. Even know. Deadliest day, but the closest, the thing that immediately calls to mind, right? Is we're looking at the war mm-hmm. at a, at a scale that engulfs the whole thing and leads to billions of dead sort of immediately, right? Like, that's a scale you have to do with, like, mm-hmm. it would be, like, um, and we have to go to a different place in fiction, right? But it's the way that, like, in the Fallout universe, they refer to the Great War Day. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Or other nuclear fiction where you talk about, like, well, everything launched at once and then there wasn't anything left. Um, and that's sort of what you need because even, like, the long and the, like, the standout of the bloody battles take place over, like, the World War One ones take place mm-hmm. over several weeks um in many cases um if we're looking really like at a single yeah i mean no i i can't i can't either because i mean even like even if you look at the worst atrocities that have ever been you know accounted for by by people it's i mean 
they, you know, there, there's not anything, there's not any, there's not anything close. I mean, they, they show up out of nowhere. No, nobody really expects this. And they just ransack the place for hours. And I mean, on Coruscant, we're talking a place that had trillions of inhabitants, you know, talking about if, if a, a country in, you know, if you invaded, uh, if a country invaded China out of nowhere and just decided to, you know, go killing tons of people in Beijing. So the story, and, uh, and we're just going to begin this here because it's far too long to cover, um, in, uh, in, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, the story here is the first meeting between the Jedi and the Sith. And the, the first one that they've ever had since they've taken up the name of the Sith. Sadao, uh, positions his Sith meditation sphere near the red star, the red supergiant star Primus Galud, which incidentally is the same star where Gavin Jory had caused a mob boss's, uh, ship to crash and started all of their problems back at the beginning of golden age of the Sith. Uh, Sadao now will use, will both use his forces or his battle meditation to strengthen his forces and demoralize his opponents, but also, and this is key for them, create Sith illusions because one thing we know and one thing that's established in golden age of the Sith is they do not have the, uh, the forces, they do not have the manpower to, to invade the Republic under and succeed. So Sadao is going to use his meditation sphere to create illusions that while totally false can still kill people. Because as we know from any science fiction movie, if something in your mind kills you, you die in real life, just like the matrix. (laughs) Just Uh. like the just like it <laughs> just, just like the matrix and I, I think I think that's a pretty good place to stop for now um, Kelsey just because of 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 how big of uh, of an issue the the great hyperspace war is and 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 we can get into that the next time what do you think I think so um, so I did a quick I did a quick thing to see if what we c- could find like the deadliest day and there's no i mean there's no single yeah. day in history that comes close and there's a really interesting um and this is just on io9 part of gizmodo it's the deadliest events in human history ranked by deaths per day <laughs> um and so the deadliest five seconds would be the atomic bomb on hiroshima which seventy thousand, which is the immediate and also a low estimate for the total from mm-hmm. that one um and then when you get up to like a day um like the closest thing we have really is like the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in uh, yeah. the year 79, which killed 16,000 people. And to get to the scale of like millions in a short time, you have to go to um, things like the black death. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So. No, that, that makes, yeah, that makes total sense. And I mean, again, we're, you know, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about galactic scale. There are, quadrillions of people or beings in this galaxy but at the same time this is one day and they're going to come in and they're going to wipe out well over a billion people in in one day and this thing's going to be over in like 18 hours it's going to be it's going to be a hell of a ride it is and we will get to it next time so thank you all for listening to people's history 
of the Old Republic. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about the worst day in galactic history. Then we'll talk, you know, lighten the mood by talking about the art in Palpatine's office. And we're going to finish up the Great Hyperspace War. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe at FOTOR on Apple, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. That's P-H-O-T-O-R, which you already know if you're listening to this. Follow us on Twitter at FOTORPOD or email us at FOTORPODCAST at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments, and we will answer some of them on future episodes. I'm Atherton KD on Twitter. And I'm Luke is amazing on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening, and may the Force be with you. Awesome.